I just want to welcome everybody back. A very gentle welcome back to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. And got a little bit of a public service announcement here as I bring with me on this journey of depression as a Houston sports fan, two beautiful, large Caucasian men who are fairly enlightened themselves, who would like to serve with me in this public service announcement of, guys, seasonal depression is real. We're in the wintertime here in Houston. We have tundra-like weather of 70 degrees during the day and a very nipping-like 40 to 50 degree nighttime weather. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've been listening the last few weeks, just know that this things can get a little depressing and to soothe your depression or actually really make it much worse based on the takes that we've had in the past. I've got with me two of my old buddies here, two former football players, one of them being my boy, Kale Hayes. He probably struck out your favorite baseball player when he was in high school or college. And then my other dog from the Fort Bend Travis days, Tanner Nels. Uh, he is a local Twitter basketball and football scout. Uh, and more importantly, he's a guy that is able to withstand the fury of my 600 followers on Twitter when we go after each other on sports takes. Good to have you fellas on. Kale, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Thanks for that amazing intro. Really uh, hyped me up there. With uh, you forgot to leave out the probably the most injured athlete of all time. How are you doing, you beautiful Persian god, brother? I'm doing well. And you know, there's solace to know that all, your injured elbow from your baseball career was done so in a wear and tear manner, where you stroked my Persian beard in our college days. So I'm glad we got that out of the way early. Tanner, good to have you on, man. I know you're a busy guy. Tanner's wife, Tanner's lady works with me in the medical center as a respiratory therapist during these hard times. So just want to give Danielle a shout out. She's an awesome gal. And you're more importantly, you're an awesome guy. Good to have you on, bro. How's everything been? Oh, life is good, man. Just enjoying Texans fanship as we know it. Ready to get talking about a little Deshaun Watson in this uh, beautiful situation we find ourselves in here today. <laughs> so let, let's jump straight into it, guys. Uh, early in the week, as I'm in Idaho, rumors start surfacing kind of periodically through the offseason that D Deshaun Watson's discontent. Deshaun Watson isn't happy with the organization for not including him in the hunt for a GM. Deshaun Watson's unhappy about this. He's unhappy about that. It's tough to kind of point your finger on the pulse of when this all happened, but just kind of when, when this became a reality to you guys, I want to get your first impressions of what you were thinking. Uh, Kale, I know you texted me right away when all the shit show started. What were your thoughts? What were your first impressions, man? I thought that, honestly, it was a year overdue. Uh, I, if I was a Sean Watson, I would have requested the the trade back whenever they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for that god-awful package. Um, right then and there, that, that, sh that would have shown to me, if I'm Deshaun, that this team has no interest in actually winning and putting something competitive out there that they are just doing whatever Bill O'Brien wants to do. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you've got – go ahead, Tanner. I'm sorry. No, no problem. And uh, just to piggyback on that, it just it, – it feels like the, the appropriate ending to three to four years of just absolute incompetence with some, some bright moments sprinkled in between. It, it's just perfect, you know. This is life as a Texans fan. Yeah, and, and Kale, you bring this back to Bill O'Brien, right? I, you kind of want to ask yourself, where did this all start? 
And I think it starts with Bill O'Brien taking the reins as GM. Now, he's no longer with the team, so a lot of people would nitpick and say, well, he's no longer with the team. There's your positive outlook there. But you still have an ownership group aided by God-fearing man Jack Easterby who put Bill O'Brien in this position to really strip this team of assets and turn this team into the hamster dam of the classic HBO show The Wire where – Well, while the inmates aren't running the prison, so to speak, the worst possible people are. The enforcers on the street and Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby, and Lord knows whoever was involved in personnel decisions. So a year too late. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you see Deshaun Watson go for, you know, arguably I've made the case for him in the past is DeAndre Hopkins being the best receiver or at worst a top three receiver in the NFL over the past five years and not even net you a first round draft pick for a team that is really behind the eight ball when it comes to draft capital, that starts to raise eyebrows as the franchise quarterback. And, you know, this isn't just any franchise quarterback. This is one of, if not a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. The guy led the league in passing yards with a poo-poo platter of talent around him, right? Kale, I know you're pretty, you've got some passionate takes on who Deshaun Watson is and where he stands as far as the pantheon of NFL quarterbacks go. I mean, to me right now, he's a top three quarterback. I, I'm putting him ahead of Russell Wilson. And I mean, it's it's the Stephen A. Smith overreaction of the week. But I would say Deshaun Watson right now in his trajectory, he's he's on pace to be the best dual threat quarterback that, that we've seen in NFL history. And the reason why I say that. What? Yeah. And okay, the reason why I say that is I, I viewed dual threat quarterbacks a little bit differently. It's not always rushing yards like Lamar Jackson. It's what you're able to do outside of the pocket because of the threat of running. And when you're looking at what Russell Wilson has done and what he's been provided with a growing receiving core and a pretty solid running game, things that Deshaun Watson has not really had. Um, I mean, he's had, a couple of years of DeAndre Hopkins, but that was pretty much it. There was no running game to speak of and no real offensive line. So it was pretty much Deshaun. We're going to call a play. It's not going to work. So you figure out what you can do on your own. And this year really showed that he can do pretty much whatever he pleased. I mean, Russell Wilson being up here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, he was asked to shoulder more of the load passing And he did great for the first four or five games and then just utterly imploded. And it carried throughout the rest of the season with that early playoff exit and not really dominating a a pretty, a pretty mediocre NFC West. Uh, And he had all the talent around him to be league MVP. And he faded into the background while Deshaun Watson ended up throwing for almost 5,000 yards had a 71% completion rate and almost nine yards per attempt. Pretty much unheard of numbers that not even Aaron Rodgers, maybe the most talented quarterback of all time, has put up. So when you're looking at something like that with the dumpster fire that the Texans had with David Johnson at running back and then Brandon Cooks, a guy that's been traded four times in the last four years, as your number one receiver and then Will Fuller doing whatever Will Fuller is going to do. You know, injecting uh, it, growth hormones into his scrotal sack. But yeah, go ahead. 
it, it's yeah. astounding what Deshaun Watson did, and also not to mention the fact that he only had one good offensive lineman in Tunzel. And, I mean, let, let's keep it going here. And not to mention that he had Tim Kelly, a horrid offensive coordinator. No tie. I mean, this guy resurrected Darren Fell's career at the age of 31. You look at all these young quarterbacks and the elite tight ends that they have as these safety nets growing up early portions of their career. He's got, he's got Darren Fells to look forward to bailing him out of a play. So I, I tend to agree with you, Kale. I think – I don't know where you stand, Tanner, as far as – uh, Deshaun Watson being one of those guys who's able to elevate the talent around him or the lack of talent around him. But he really does have that LeBron James, James Harden factor, if you want to swing this back to basketball for a second, of doing the most with the least. You know, you don't really see that from a lot of guys in football these days. A lot of these guys tend to be situated in these in these team cultures that perpetuate success like a Patriots culture, like a Packers culture, like we've seen with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll during his entire tenure there. Yeah, there's no doubt Deshaun is able to do things that you look across the league and you say, wow, let, let's just place any random quarterback in the situation he's been in over the last two to three years. And what does that actually yield from a results standpoint? Deshaun Deshaun has this innate ability to just create and avoid sacks and really can, I mean, he can turn Kiki QT into a 10 catch guy in one game. And then the next game, Will Fuller has a buck 80 and the next game, Brandon Cobbs has a buck 40. And that's what really got me excited about him this year was watching him distribute the football. Once, once he got over the shock and all that, my man DeAndre is gone, and I can't just lock in on my first read. And it's time for me to actually grow and progress as a passer rather than just a superior athlete playing quarterback. It's open now. The, 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 literally, there is nothing that that man cannot do anymore. And I, I'll agree with Kale in the sense that from a talent perspective, typically guys that you would deem as dual threat a knock on their throwing ability, right? That's sort of like a backhanded compliment in, in, in some sense. But Deshaun, first and foremost, is a fantastic thrower of the football who just so happens to be elite in terms of creating outside the pocket and, and truly turning a situation that a lesser quarterback or a, a lesser playmaker in general would, you know, rack up 90 sacks a year with some of the O-line play that he's had over the last two to three years. I, I mean, I, I feel just with a little bit of Texans games that I watched being a Colts fan, that the offensive line that the Texans put together is pretty much on par with what we saw David Carr just going to shell shock with. I mean, yeah, let's go back to David Carr. Let's go back to David Carr for a second. You've got a team since 15 years, 15 years from their inception in 2002 have been trying to find that quarterback that they can build around. Uh, you maybe had it in David Carr, but you threw him out into the battlefields of World War One with that offensive line. You guys remember the HEB commercial that they made with Carr by any chance? We were all pretty young, but I feel like it was on the periphery for most of us. Do you know what I'm referencing? I do. They I, fucking I don't parodied. <laughs> they, parried, they parried this guy's struggles on the football field into an H-E-B commercial. He's checking out <laughs> in the line, and they asked him, do you want a sack for that? And he looks into the camera, and you just see the pain in this man's eye. 
And, you know, you go from that, 15 years later, you find this guy in, what was it, the 13th pick of the first round. God knows how many teams passed on him. The Bears are kicking themselves along with the Jets and several other teams. And now you find yourself just three and a half years later in a situation where this piece that you've been looking for, this Cinderella story, this, you know, the 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 slipper that finally fits perfectly into the foot of the one piece your franchise always missed is wanting out. And I don't know if there's any way to fix this situation. I, you know, the, the optimist in me, the Texans fan in me, if there is still a Texans fan in me, uh, wants to think that once the season starts, you know, the, they find an off the offensive minded head coach that Deshaun Watson is in on the process of finding and they're able to maybe convince him to stay as the face of the franchise. But y'all, I don't know. The the Houston fan in me is telling me this is done and there's really no way back from this. I don't know where you guys stand on that. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much there. To me, this is reminiscent of uh, Carson Palmer and the Bengals back in uh, 2010 where you, you just, you, as a player, you see all the mismanagement and all the horrid decisions that are made and you just realize in Deshaun, like Carson, had the catastrophic knee injury and came back even better. You you put in all two this time. Two, two catastrophic knee injuries. Yeah, and you put in all this time for it to just be thrown in your face. And it's like, why, why the hell am I going to waste my prime? You know, they have obviously shown no interest in actually building a team, not just around me, but around the other key players on the team. And, so it's just like, you know what? I, I've had enough. Get me out of here. So I wouldn't Especially, be surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled what Carson Palmer did and just says, you know what? Fuck it. I'm retiring. <laughs> A little Andrew Luck 2.0 in the AFC South. Keep it in the family. Uh, I, I, what's fascinating <laughs> to me about this situation is when Watson was drafted, the notion around the league was the Texans are a quarterback away. And this was just four, what, four years ago, five years ago. The Texans are a quarterback of a way. Their roster is loaded with talent across the board. If they have a quarterback, they're a legit Super Bowl contender. Fast forward to where we are now with Watson on a rookie contract, which means there was no issues with having to shed talent to fit his cap number in this space. And now you can say, well, the Texans really only have Watson. It, it, it's baffling. I, the, the incompetency and the mismanagement of the roster, which is what I really think this whole situation boils down to, a football decision by his end, it, it's, it's world-class incompetence. You almost have to try to, to screw it up this bad. And bravo to them because they've done it. Yeah, I really appreciate that stab in the heart with the Andrew Luck right there. That was uh, <laughs> that was that was a rough that was rough seeing that come out. But no, I, I fully agree. It, it's it's like you've combined James Dolan and Vlade Divac into to one team. That's how bad the Texans front office is, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, looking back at some of the moves, going back to O'Brien really taking the reins of power, let, let's let's look at them, right? First and foremost, I think the move that most casual fans around the league can point at and say, what the fuck were you thinking, is DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, top three NFL wide receiver for the past five seasons of football, you know, the reliable guy for your young and budding quarterback, the guy who's been an all pro three times, 
He's led the Texans in receiving in six out of his seven years, and that one year being an Andre Johnson Twilight Prime year. He's only 27 years old, and you trade him away for a second-round pick and David Johnson, who hasn't been productive since 2017. Let me give you all a list of players who've netted you a first-round pick as a wide receiver. First and foremost, Stefan Diggs. He just did it for you, right? You got Brandon Cooks. Guess who did it Ooh. again? Brandon Cooks. Twice. Amari Cooper, Odell Beckham Jr., Randy Moss, Percy Harvin. You know who's not on that list? DeAndre fucking Hopkins, who just gave you 1,400 yards for a young quarterback over in Arizona, along with being an end zone threat as well for him. So that's the first one. And I, that's the one that I'll never forgive this team for. I don't care if there's friction in the locker room. You make it work when you have talent like that, as far as friction goes. It, what Really what it comes down to is DeAndre Hopkins to the Texans was Mohamed Sanu, right? Because they got a second for Mohamed Sanu. And that's what we got for Hopkins. It's <laughs> Madden would have Madden would have shut off if you tried to make that trade in franchise mode. You know the the actual trade itself, Bala. Initially, when they moved Hopkins, I remember being shocked. But my first thought process, as somebody who who loves constructing football teams and rosters, I wasn't opposed from the standpoint of moving off a receiver, but the return was terrible. You can't get that kind of return. And then to turn around and allocate the money the way you did by freeing up that cap space to Eric Murray and Whitney Merciless and trade the two for Brandon Cooks, a series of unfortunate events, my friend. No doubt. And, you know, you talk about cap space. You know, another blemish on this team right now is you hope that Due to the lack of draft capital, not having a first round pick, not having a second round pick, you know, one would turn and say, well, maybe you can construct this team in free agency. But unfortunately, all your cap is tied up in a defense that was sitting near the bottom of the NFL when it came down to production and holding opposing offenses down when DeAndre Hopkins would lead a lot of these fourth quarter comebacks and put your team ahead. There was a stat I saw halfway through the season last year, and I'm sure he's only gone up in this ranking. This isn't a ranking you want to be on, by the way. It was the stat of games that your quarterback put you ahead of in which your defense comes back in a last-minute last drive and gives the lead back to the other team. DeAndre or Deshaun Watson was at the top of that list in only his third year as a quarterback. Four years in, I can only imagine he's gone up the ranking, although this year he may not have been in too many favorable positions to have any go-ahead touchdowns or go-ahead drives in the fourth quarter. That's insane to me. Uh, it really is. I mean, you're looking at a guy that is an all-world talent, a generational talent, honestly. I mean, how many guys can do what he did to Nick Saban in Alabama? And yes, I know Clemson came back and, and beat them with Trevor Lawrence, but that team with Trevor Lawrence was way more stacked than what Deshaun had to work with. And then he comes in and he sets the world on fire with his rookie year before he gets injured. I, I mean, they're, they they put him in a Peyton Manning position, and that's the thing. Only one person was able to play defense on offense, and that was Peyton Manning. I, I, I mean, you're, you're talking you, – you know, you're asking – him to play offense and defense at the same time. And it's only been done successfully, at least in my opinion, once before. It, it's disgusting. Yeah. When you look at teams that have consensus 
top five QBs in the league on rookie contracts. The fact that you have that situation arise and you are you parlay that to a four and twelve season this year while he's still on that rookie deal, it, it, it's it is it's unprecedented. I mean, you, you, the Eagles, why they win the Super Bowl? Well, they had wins on a rookie deal. The greatness of Patrick Mahomes is certainly a major part on why they won the Super Bowl. But that roster is loaded because, again, they had him on a rookie deal. The same could be said for the Seahawks with the Legion of Boom. It's it's the golden recipe. It's the golden goose, and they fucked it up. They did. I, I mean, that's you're looking at it. You couldn't ask for a better position to be in in the NFL nowadays with these rookie deals and the talent that's coming in. Because go back to whenever you've got like Sam Bradford and Matt Stafford coming out, those rookie deals were what, 65, 70 million? Uh, I mean, just astronomical. And now the guys are coming in with much more manageable deals. And you can see, it, it was easy to see what Deshaun brought to the table. And they just shit the bed. They brought in yeah. no help. Not, not only did they not bring in help, they refused to retain the help that was already in place. You you let Dwayne Brown go in 2017, and you don't find a replacement for your rookie Golden Goose quarterback until a week before the 2019 season, where you get Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills for two first-round picks and a second-round pick. That's you know, And then you want to talk about other talent that you don't retain. Jadavion Clowney, your number one overall pick in 2014 – all you get back for him is a third-round draft pick. Are you kidding me? It, it's baffling. You know, the, the the Clowney deal, I absolutely hate it because Clowney performed so well here. He was a perfect fit, just a, a, a absolute causer of destruction. You know, forget the sack numbers, throw that out. If you watch the game, Clowney is, was a disruptive force. And you mentioned Dwayne Brown trade. That really started this entire domino effect. Of, of moving people and not replacing it. Learning Tunsil only happened because the brain trust that is the Houston Texans sat down together and said, you know what? We're going to trot out Matt Khalil on the left side of the offensive line. That's going to work. Uh, desperation it's almost, creates bad decisions. I fully agree with you, Tanner. It's almost like um, – they were locked out of uh, PFF and were like, uh, guys, what do we do here? Um, does, does he have a name? Is that a big name? All right, let's go for it. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's baffling. I have no idea what metrics that the Texans are, are looking at. Are they looking at a, a, a graph chart done by a four-year-old? Yeah, I mean they haven't they haven't always been the greatest evaluators of talent. Don't forget this is a this is an organization that week one of the 2017 season wanted Tom Savage as their starting quarterback over Deshaun Watson. Let's not forget that you know the Savage train was a very real thing coming off of his playoff win against the Raiders. Even though any any real football fan could see right through that as you know that that was the corpse of the Oakland Raiders that we ended up beating up on. Who was it? It was a third-string quarterback from Michigan State that just completely fell apart. Shout out Connor Cook, man. Thank there you. There you go. A nice Billy O's crowning achievement, taking down Connor Cook by a measly ten-point difference. And, and you know that it's it's honestly you see it a lot in teams that they get a win like this over a crappy team, and they're like, all right, we've come over the hump. 
we can do X, Y, and Z now and not taking taking a step back and really taking stock in, dude, we just beat a third-string guy that I think had, what, 12 snaps in his NFL career prior to that. It's not like they were throwing out Rich Gannon or something. Yeah, and, oh. and you know, one thing one thing that Nabil always argues with me about on this podcast when we refer to the James Harden era in Houston is even though Houston was always kind of at the top there and James Harden kept them in anywhere from like the five to the one seed, Nabil says we always fell short and he compares the Rockets' success this decade much to the same as the Texans, right? The Texans always atop the AFC South getting a few division championships here and there. But when it comes down to it in the playoffs, they're playoff failures. And the reason I disagree with that is anytime the Texans would go up against that top-notch talent, the Patriots of the world, the Steelers of the world, uh, anyone who had any shred of true Super Bowl contention, before Deshaun Watson, I mean, they were always national TV embarrassments. You guys, I mean, you guys remember the uh, what was it called when they their Letterman game on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football against the Patriots? So this has been a team time and time again. Even though you want to trot out these measly success stories of having a first round win against the Bengals or getting or getting by the Raiders with a third string quarterback, outside of Deshaun Watson, you've never been able to even step foot up against the true contenders in the NFL. And and we're talking about a rookie, Deshaun Watson, who was able to do this against the Patriots, the Seahawks, uh, in his like first four games as an NFL starter. I think that first year uh, that they were really good with Kubiak and Wade Phillips in the unfortunate Albert Hainsworth. I hate that guy forever for this. I think that was a Super Bowl team, Bala. I really do. That roster was loaded and Schaub was balling. They had Arian, who was the best back in the league at that time, and the defense had a young Watt bar win. They were just stacked across the board. So I think that was a Super Bowl team. But really, since then, your best team was what? Last year's Texans, who fumbled away a 24-point lead in the second quarter, a gifted 24-point lead to host the AFC title game against Tennessee, a team they could beat. And it's... I mean, there's no doubt about it. When, when, when the lights shine the brightest, that the Texans are notorious for turtling. That fucking hurts. And I think it hurts to hear a, that. A lot of that goes back to coaching. Uh, I mean, that's Bill O'Brien and his genius game plans, which, uh, you know, that's going to be fun watching Alabama go uh, three, and, three and nine next year with him at the helms as an OC. But it, it, it's, it's really it's, – it's the coaching. It's – so, so let me ask you guys this. As far as coaching goes, Kale, you think Eric Bieniemy, if he gets the head coaching job, and from the accounts we've heard at least, Deshaun Watson was involved in the interview process. Do you think if he gets the head coaching job, is there a chance to salvage this? Honestly, I don't. I, I think at this point the bridge is it's, – it's just been burned too much. You can't repair it. I, I mean, because what's, what's to say that – you know, they bring him in, but then they don't end up handicapping uh, Biamini's ability to actually shape the roster. There's so much, there's such limited moves they can do to shape it. I mean, you had a, you have a historically talent deficient defense. I mean, if you lined up the position groups across the board, I can maybe count three people on the Texans defense that would start on an above average NFL defense, and I don't, you don't have any young talent. 
because you've constantly traded draft picks away. We gave a third rounder for Duke Johnson. Are you kidding me? We get Gary Young Conley third rounder. He's not even playing this year, and he's going to walk. I mean, these are things you can't do. There is no ability for them to organically grow with the construct of the roster they have. And the enemy or not, I think Watson's looking at the tea leaves, like you said earlier, Vala, and, and realizes, I just had a dominant year. I played as good as I possibly could. And we went 4-12. and 12. I, what, where is the upward mobility here? What, what What is the path to actual contention? Which is crazy that we're talking about this because just 20 months ago, we were coming off of a disappointment against the super winning Kansas City Chiefs where we had the game in hand. It's just crazy the turn of events and, and the talent drain that has occurred in these last two to three years here on this roster. Yeah, I've always said, you know, you guys talked about the golden period of having your quarterback on that rookie contract. You look at the Seahawks, you know, when Russell Wilson was on that rookie contract, a big part of their success was the fact that a a good component of their defense came from guys that they drafted from the third, fourth, fifth, even sixth round guys on day two and three of the NFL draft and guys that they were able to grow with that defense. Not only have the Texans been deficient in that part of the draft, really since their inception, but now they don't even have the first and second round picks that they were semi-competent in to bank off of. So yeah, the young talent isn't there. I mean, Justin Reed, I guess, is the most promising guy you have to look forward to, and he's coming off an off year, uh, an off sophomore slump year as the starting safety of this football team. Zach Cunningham... I mean, really, you're going to have to you're going to start have to dole out the big bucks to him with his new contract coming on your books. And outside of those two guys, I don't see it. I don't see any young talent on this defense that you can point to and say, at least that's a cornerstone guy that if you get a few pieces around him, you can maybe do something here. You're you're 100 percent right. It's not their ball. I mean, going into this year, I'll be honest, I thought they were eight, nine, win 10 team just because of Deshaun's greatness and. You know, right. frankly, when you look at their weapons when healthy, they had some dudes out there on the edge. I mean, a Fuller-Cooks 1-2 combo is not a bad look. I mean, half the teams in the NFL would gladly accept that as their top two guys. And yeah, I those two really guys can take the top pressure. off. Oh, yeah, and I thought their offensive line, you know, Max Sharping. Mike Devlin is a huge problem in this entire saga we're talking about here. But the the, the, the lack of development that they've had up front with guys like a Max Sharping and, you know, Titus played okay this year, but you've allocated so many assets to building up what should be a top third of the league offensive line. And again, failure. It's just a failure in all aspects of roster building and roster management. And it's, and it's inexcusable when you have a elite, young, cheap talent, at quarterback like Deshaun. I mean, you're looking yeah. at a, a, a roster. If, if if you want to talk about how they performed, what what year was it that the Bobcats set the the record for worst winning percentage <laughs> ever in the NBA? A Charlotte Bobcats shout out <laughs> on not your weekly sports pod. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what you're looking at. You look at the defensive names, and and they've brought in guys who are great in college. But I mean, when was Vernon Hargraves? How many teams has he been cut from? I mean, it, like, wh- what are you looking at here? That that defense was just deficient all the way around to the point of where J.J. Watt 
you look at his numbers and they look terrible, it's because they were able to just focus on him exclusively and didn't have to worry about anyone pressure coming from anywhere else. By the way, that's the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats roster that you're talking about, and I'm not going to have you besmirch them because that was headed by Paul Silas, father of current head coach Steven Silas of the Houston Rockets. So there's going to be no Rockets slander by any extension on this podcast. We've, we've suffered enough over the last few weeks, Gail. It's all right. Just let me know whenever John Wall comes back. <laughs> all right. So so here here's where we're sitting right now. We're <laughs> coming off a 4-12 and team. Uh, well, that sets you up very nicely in the first round. That's good for the third pick in the first round. Oh, wait, Miami has your first pick. Maybe you can trade that first pick back for Deshaun Watson, uh, but you have no first or second round pick. You've got no salary cap room because of the assets tied up on the defensive end, and my, oh, my, what assets they are. So what's the best case scenario for this team? I mean, what <laughs> the only piece you have to work with is Deshaun Watson. So what do you see, Kel? I haven't I, I've heard from you in saying that you don't think there's any salvaging this situation. Tanner, do you kinda are you in the same boat there? Do you think the only way forward uh, from a realistic standpoint is trading Deshaun Watson to try to completely say, you know what, we fucked up. We shit the bed with the Bill O'Brien era. This is a completely new regime. Jack Easterby will give us the hand of God. Nick Casario can start to model us like the Patriots, and we're just going to start anew with these assets that we're going to get from this generational once-in-a-lifetime quarterback that we've been looking for for 15 years. Uh, So I actually think Casario's competent. So if we are to go full rebuild, and I have some thoughts on that uh, that I won't dive into just yet, I I don't think it would be a failure as long as they keep Easterby you know, somewhere down off 59, hanging out with Joel Osteen and instead of in the personnel department. But (laughs) I think it is salvageable because here's the reality, guys. I understand the recent player movement in the NFL has started to mimic the NBA, but the Texans do have the leverage over Deshaun. I understand he has a no-trade clause, but his big money has not kicked in yet. If he sits out this year, if they say, Deshaun, we're not moving you, you know, we're going to call your bluff. And he sits out this year. He's going to forfeit upwards of $20 million. And it just pushes back his contract a whole nother year into the length of it. So they have control of the situation if they do not cave to his demands. So I, if, if Casario has not sat down face-to-face with Deshaun, wherever the hell he is, take, take old Cal's private jet and go find Deshaun and square this situation up one way or the other, it's an utter failure on the Texans' end. But I don't necessarily think the decision's made. Deshaun might want to be out regardless. And some of the reports, which are conflicting, are now leaning to he wants Cal to step down, essentially, in order for him to stay with the team. And that's, that's like, that is creating an expectation that he knows is non-realistic. So it's a, it's a force-me-out-of-here type movement. But they hold the cards. Do not cave in. Do not call his bluff is what I would do. I don't necessarily think you just panic and move Deshaun for your picks back from Miami unless it's a king's ransom, which then, you know, the different conversation. There's only one package as a Texans fan that I'm accepting. I, this has never happened in the history of the NFL, but former Houston Sports Radio 610 legend, What's Right with Nick Wright, laid this out on his show. You guys may be familiar with uh, his I think it's a Fox Sports show that he does in the morning. First things first. things first. God, I hate that guy. 
Yeah, so he's the ultimate LeBron stand, so I can see why you'd feel that way. But essentially what he said is, Deshaun Watson, I mean, think about the pieces that this team's gotten, what, the first-round picks that we've given up, right? Laramie Tunsil was had for two first-round picks. Think about other guys that were traded for first-round picks. Jamal Adams was traded for two first-round picks. Jalen Ramsey netted you two first-round picks. And I wouldn't trade all three of those guys for Deshaun Watson if I'm Houston. That's six first-round picks. So the only package I would reasonably accept, and, and Tanner, I'm with you here. I really want to hold out for the, for the thought of, let's see if you can get Deshaun in a room. You know, there's a new regime in town. There's an actual personnel department that this team has that it hasn't had in two years. And that's absolutely astounding to hear out loud when you think about a professional sports organization. But the only package I would accept, and this isn't going to happen, is a trade with San Francisco. Give me Jimmy Garoppolo and give me a first round pick every single season that you control Deshaun Watson on your team. So if you have him for the next nine seasons and you think he's worthy of those first round picks, I get a first round pick for the next nine years from the San Francisco 49ers. If you think he's not worth that anymore at any point, go ahead and cut him and you're done with that obligation of netting me a first round pick for the next however many years you control him. But that's about it, guys. I don't think I don't think a Jets package of two first round picks, one in the mid twenties, one the other one being what, the fifth pick in the first round? I'm not sure exactly which one it is. It's early though. Yeah, it's it's mid it's mid to late, almost like eighteen or nineteen, somewhere in that range. Or the Jets is even later than that. But Vol, I hear you. They're not going to do that. That's not. I've heard him make that same suggestion for Aaron Rodgers' value. Essentially, a first rounder every year you have him. No team's going to do that. I, I think realistically, if you if you internally, if Cal says, well, we're not going to be pushed around by a player, uh, but we're going to move him. The only way you pick up the phone is either something along the lines of three ones and three twos, all that happened in the next two years, or four ones. Uh, otherwise, you hang up the phone and you just do not, you don't even answer because you just mentioned Jamal Adams. He's a box safety, and they got two first rounds for a box safety who needs a new contract. Are you kidding me, Deshaun? You have team control for the next four years with him, and he's only getting better. Uh, this would be the biggest haul we've ever seen in draft equity. Please, 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 please do not call Miami and get two in return instead of getting another first-rounder. That, that'll just make me uh, scratch my eyes out. So, Vaughn, yeah, the- uh, were, were you paid by the Colorado to, uh, to say bring in Jimmy Garoppolo to fill the void that James Harden left at the Houston Strip Clubs? <laughs> you know, every I feel like every team needs their own Tony Soprano running the show. And yeah, we're losing the Tony Soprano of this TV series and James Harden, that's a pretty big hole to fill. I, I, I mean, I think if so, I, I disagree with Tanner a little bit in regards to the leverage that Deshaun applies. Um, if you're looking at, yes, with the contract, you're correct, sitting out, he costs himself a ton of money. But you also got to look at the impact down the road. If the Texans do something like that, no free agent is going to want to come to Houston because then they know they're going to be stuck there, irrespective of what the team looks like. So it, it, as much as it may seem with the way that the contract structured, the Texans have the upper hand, you just... It, 
to me, it's truly still resides with the player because you're then showing we do not value players as a franchise. Um, it, let me let me let me counter that real quick though, Kale. I think that notion, while it sounds right, I think when it comes down to it, these NFL players, they're about getting their money. So if you're highest bidder on the market or you're top dollar on the marketplace, guys forget quickly. We're a microwave society. We forget quickly. In three years from now, it's a complete new young generation of free agents that'll be hitting their first wave that they may look at this situation and say, yeah, okay, well, it didn't work out for him, but the Texans are willing to pay me 5 to 10% above market value. Well, hell yeah, I'll go play for them. Not a problem. So I'm just concerned that if they do decide to move Deshaun and he has a no trade clause and they give in to his demands to move him, I, I feel like the potential for them to get fleeced and not to get proper return, which we don't even really know what that is. It's hard to quantify what proper return is with a player of his caliber right. at his age. Uh, right. And it, it, it will literally destroy them for the next 10 years. If they're going to move him, they can do this. They can do it appropriately. They can move Watson. Then you turn around, you move Watt, you move Tunzel. You completely burn the ship down. And you try to add about 10 premium picks in the next two years and start from the ground up. Uh, sort of all all Miami Dolphins. Which is ironic, right? But uh, I'm just afraid that they're going to cave to the pressure of ESPN, of the national media, of everybody who is just running a full-on hearts and minds campaign against the Texans and flip him for you know three ones or two ones and a three, like essentially a Jamal Adams f deal with like a Sam Darnold attached to it, and call it a day. And that would be a disaster. So I don't know necessarily getting... that you that you look at something like that because look at uh, switching back to the NBA. Look at Paul George and the value that he ended the season up with with OKC, just really showing off the playoff P that we all know so well, and the haul that OKC got back in return for that. I, I, I mean, while you still do have the player empowerment, there is going to be a team that is going to be desperate, just like the Clippers were, and grossly overpay I don't know that I could say that you're grossly overpaying for Watson considering where I think he stands in the pantheon of NFL players currently but I think there definitely is value to be had now who will be willing to take that dive uh the Jets but I don't know I think that there is and there will be value out there, as we saw with just the unprecedented haul uh, by the Thunder for Paul George. What what makes this difficult, though, Kale, is he has a no trade clause. So if no this trade is a football clause. decision, yeah, if this is a football decision, which I think it is, I remove all the bullshit about the personalities. You know, Deshaun's looking at this, in my opinion, from a vacuum of a football decision because he wants to be great and win titles. Well, if Deshaun really assesses the situation and says, "Well, if I go to the Jets and they just move," the majority of their first round picks and their cheap young talent over to Houston. My cap hit comes into play next year. All of a sudden we're stuck where we are with the jets with not a lot of flexibility because once you're paying them 40 million a year, you know, it's tough to build a roster around that and no first round picks that doesn't lead to a more uh, 
conducive environment for success. That That's not a better environment for success than where the Texans are. You're, you're putting yourself right back to where you just were with the Texans. You're going to be on a depleted roster as a one-man show with no real flexibility to build that roster. So he can veto those things, which is why you got to be careful navigating this, man. Right, right. Hey, real quick, I, there's – there are two and 14 team, right? They're, I'm trying to look at the landscape of the NFL between the AFC and the NFC. The AFC, really, the Dolphins maybe is the only attractive suitor that's a semi-ready-to-compete-now team with the season they just had if they were to put together a package for the Texans. But I don't know if the Texans are interested in anything they have to offer. And then you flip over to the NFC side of things. What team is there that really is boisting a top – talented, ready-to-go team that's just missing a quarterback. A lot of the teams have their quarterbacks Minnesota. established. Minnesota. Minnesota. You, you, you get rid of Kirk Cousins and you put Deshaun Watson in there, you're looking at a 14-2 and or 13-3 and team. I would agree with that. Minnesota's loaded. I would agree with that, Kev. I mean, you I, in the numbers that Deshaun Watson would put up in that system – like you're looking oh, at just insanity with Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. I mean, that's that's just the perfect pairing. And I think you, I think you may see Minnesota as a dark horse because that's what they're lacking. It's just how you get rid of the Kirk Cousins contract. So so is that what essentially the is that what you guys think Deshaun Watson's prime directive is what he's looking for is contention I mean he hasn't again what makes this situation so hard to assess for me is with Watson kind of being silent on the radio and all this aside from telling his supporters not to go out and and write in front of NRG uh, we don't know what Watson wants does he want to be in a bigger market does he want to go win all indications are that he wants to win because I mean all this noise started to come out after their recent failure. You know they had the post game audio bite of Watts of JJ Watt walking him out saying, "Sorry, bro, we wasted another one of your e- years." And just the look of depression on this guy's face from the sidelines. Are, are we ready to say that this is all because of a lack of a winning situation? I think it's also you got to look at it from a brand standpoint as well. And and that's, at least in my opinion, why he stayed so quiet is he's got to make sure that he protects his brand. Um, It's it's kind of like what you look at uh, with what LeBron did, Um, you know, outside of uh, that whole the decision deal. You know, you stay quiet for the most part and then you you play your hand later on. but I think he it's a combination of both. He wants to go somewhere where he can compete, but also at the same time grow his brand. He, you know, he comes from the same background as LeBron, a very uh, impoverished environment. And you're looking at the ability to set yourself apart with all these endorsement deals and bring in generational money that you could have never imagined as a kid growing up. But and you don't so think, I think you can do that in Houston? I mean, we, we made J.J. Watt a king here. Who's to say J.J. Watt in Arizona is what he is uh, in Houston from a branding perspective? I, I think the branding aspect of it plays. If you're an elite quarterback, the, the branding plays, man. You, you're going to get the ads. You're going to get the attention regardless of where you are. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the play. I, I just I truly think it's him assessing the situation. It, the, there's only more gasoline put on the situation. He's sitting back watching the AFC divisional round. And he sees four young guys 
that there's no doubt he unequivocally feels he's better than three of those without a doubt and understands, you know, I'm probably on the same level as Mahomes in his mind and sees these guys getting all the, all the run, all the hype because they're playing winning football. And then if you really take another step forward, which I'm sure he does because he's a smart guy, if you remove the quarterbacks from those four AFC playoff teams that we just watched last weekend, and then you remove the quarterback from the Texans and you stack up the roster, it's like looking at a Division One college football team versus an NFL team. I mean, there, there's a light years away in terms of overall roster composition and talent. So I think that's what he's assessing is, I don't know what more I can do to elevate this team. And best case scenario, we're maybe nine wins next year if I put up a Aaron Rodgers in his prime MVP-esque year. I mean, I I agree. I, I think what you're looking at is if you take he's taking into consideration. I think what he looked at the most was the Bills. Look at how the Bills have just languished for years and years and years, and then they get the right coach that makes the right moves. Josh Allen was looked at as a project, and uh, now you're looking at an MVP guy. You, you're, you're looking, and Deshaun is looking, and like, well, hold on, the the Bills are going. Up. Why the hell are we going down? We've imploded. So uh, I, I think he's taking into consideration. He's like uh, looking at all the situations around him and just seeing that the Texans have become the most dysfunctional organization in the NFL. Are you are any of you guys ready to say the Texans are looking like the worst sports organization between all three major sports? Yep. Vlade Divox out in uh, in Sacramento and. The Knicks, I never thought I'd say it, looks somewhat functional. Oh, my God, James Dolan. It's hard for me to make that statement just yet because, again, we're one year removed from them blowing a 24-point lead to the eventual Super Bowl champs and hosting an AFC championship game. Bad years do happen, and this is sort of the counter push on Deshaun Watson. This is, if I'm playing devil's advocate to just how good Deshaun is, and I think he's great. I think he's a top five guy. But with that said, if if you're going to be a max contract NFL quarterback, the only way your team's going to win a Super Bowl is if you're damn near Hall of Fame level player, right? You just look across the board and that's the reality of these quarterbacks that are still going that are on max numbers. They're, they're Brady, they're Rodgers. They are first bout Hall of Fame guys. Those guys when they played 16 games, regardless of the situation around them, and you could say the situation was never as bad as Deshaun's was this year, they don't go for in 12. And he had a big part to do with some of those early struggles. He did not find his rhythm early on. He was, he was a little shell-shocked from not having Hopkins. And by the time they really got it going, by the middle of the year, it, you know, it was just too late. It was, it was too late, and some of the defensive deficiencies fell apart, and Man, a couple of those games, if they just go a different way, if they hold on against Tennessee in either of those two games, if they hold on against the Colts in either of these two games, I wonder, is Deshaun's outlook on where the Texans are different? And you say, you know what? We were pretty close to still being 8-8 eight and eight this year with all this turmoil and a lame duck coach. You know, we can, we can fix some things up and get back into playoff contention. I don't know. That's, that's to me, is a variable that's not discussed enough amongst you know, analyzing what this, this, situ- this situation is now. And again, after they after they fumbled the Nick Casario move, trying to get him from the Patriots before they were before they were legally by NFL standards able to go ahead and make that approach. This is a team that hasn't had a pr- an official 
personnel selection committee for the last year and a half. And that's nuts to me. So I guess the pitch you can make to Deshaun is, look, we've got the right guys in place now. We're going to spend what money we do have in free agency to bolster the offense. And you can look at the body of evidence from this offseason in targeting these offensive-minded head coaches in their interview process. And we're fully committed to you. We've given you the money. We've been looking for you our entire franchise history. Give us another shot. Like you said, Tanner, we were, we're literally 15 months past from being one half away from a favorable AFC conference championship matchup with a team that we had a history of dominating in the regular season. So, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to accept the devil's advocate outlook. Uh, of the optimist in a, in a Texans fan, but man, it's there. There, there's a case to be made for it, and I don't know. I don't. At this point, Deshaun Watson still hasn't said anything. We'll hopefully drop this podcast before the weekend of the 23rd, and by that point, we'll have a better idea. But would you, do you guys have any predictions as it stands right now before anything gets released? Does Deshaun Watson stay with the Houston Texans to start the 2021 season, or is he gone? Is this it? We've seen him play his last snap, as they said on ESPN. A little hesitation to answer that question. Oh well, well, you know, it's it's obviously if you read the tea leaves, and it's funny to watch the the juxtaposition of how the local media and some of the local Twitter guys that are, you know, let's just say on a smaller scale, are trying to paint this picture of a very but, you know, the situation is not as serious as the national media is making it seem. Unfortunately, with the Texans, the national media guys typically get it right over the local media guys for whatever reason. And, you know, if you if you listen to that, then Deshaun's out and his mind's already made up. But I still believe that the Texans, not that they're going to fix the situation with Deshaun, but that the Texans, maybe I'm just hoping, call his bluff and say, you know what? Sit out. You're worried about your reputation. You know what's really going to kill your reputation? If you hold out for a year, Deshaun. And you can't play football. You can't pull a James Harden in the NFL like he did those last three games and go out there half-assed. It doesn't work. You'll get hurt. So you have to play if you're playing, right? So I would put him in that situation and make him decide his perception amongst the league of somebody who's sitting out and essentially giving up on his team for a year or somebody who says, screw it, I'll push through one more year and we'll see what happens with the new regime. We'll give Casario a chance. We'll give what most likely is going to be a enemy as sort of an appeasement as an olive branch uh, a chance. I got to think if they hire Biennemi, Biennemi's had to talk to Deshaun and say, if I take this job, will you stay with me for a year or two? Because if not, it's a massive mistake and why would yeah, he want that so. job in the first place? You that hope so. You hope he can be the guy to bring him back if, if in and reel him back there in. And you're pretty much Kale, what's your prediction on this? years of very bad football. I don't know. I missed the last part of what Tanner was saying. It, it kind of went dark on me. Um, well, I mean, I, I've I've played the, the Stephen A. Smith of reaction guy uh, pretty well for this. But I, I don't know. Deshaun just strikes me. He's too much of a competitor to really – pull a Carson Palmer and sit out. Um, but at the same time, you don't have to be a, uh, you don't have to be a terrible team to still be poorly run and dysfunctional. I mean, look at uh, the Knicks whenever they had Carmelo and finished with the first, first seed. What was that? 2012, 
2013 in the East. They were never um, the first seed, but they were always up there. Yeah, I think one of the seasons they finished as a third or fourth seed and and got destroyed by Miami in the second round. I want to say the 2013 season, but but I get your point. Yeah, you, I, I, I mean, so at least to me, the fact that they were up on up by that much with a chance to move on against the, the Chiefs wasn't necessarily because the, the team wasn't dysfunctional. It's just at that time the talent just outweighed the dysfunction within the environment and then the dysfunction caught up and it just completely imploded and it's continued to carry over. You still got that stench of Bill O'Brien in the air. It still hasn't been cleaned out. You haven't brought in the uh, the air purifier and and removed it. So I I, I don't know, at at least to me and to not make, trying not to make this political, um, but looking at this, You've, at least for me, if, if if I'm Deshaun and how everything kind of went down back when Bob McNair made the comment, from my perspective, how I always heard it growing up is it's the inmates running the asylum. I never heard it as the inmates running the prison. Uh, and so I, I, I think that there was a, a little bit more to that comment than what was meant to be said. I still think that has lingered and it has not been properly broached um, by anybody in the Texans front office. And that means a lot to Deshaun. He has been very vocal about um, equality and it, uh, I, I don't know. So I think that that's a factor as well that a lot of people aren't taking as much stock of as in comparison to, uh, him not having a say in regards to the Nick Casario hire. Hey, Kale, though, let me ask you this. I would be on board with that if one of his preferred destinations wasn't Miami and one Stephen Ross owning the team. That completely throws that argument out the window to me. So, you, you know, so you, you, you're out of Houston because of what you deem as a insensitive ownership group. So I'm going to go to the Jets and play for Woody Johnson. Or I'm going to go to Miami and play for Stephen Ross. Like I, I, I can't buy that because that that that's a weak excuse. You're you're trading you're trading a Civic for a Corolla. There's no difference in those two. Just one of them got caught in an old age speaking his mind, and the other two have done a little bit better job from a PR standpoint. So I don't know if that's a real reason. If it is, Deshaun's got to be smarter than that and has done his digging and research on these ownership groups. I'm assuming that's the case. I mean, that's just speculation, and I'm not saying that that's the main driving point, but I, I know how it affected Clowney. I know how it affected Hopkins, and, and Watson was in with that group. So he hasn't really spoken much on it, and this is just pure speculation, but I, I think that there may be a, a little bit in there, and I have I have no idea. I mean, Brian – you can overlook some warts. Uh, I'm, I'm not going on to defend anything in regards to Woody Johnson or Stephen Ross. Uh, but to me, Brian Flores has really come in and tried to change the culture uh, after a lot of that. With the Jets, no. I, I was merely throwing out the Jets as, you know, you can build a brand in New York. And, of course, if he were to go there and to win with, with New York, he'd become Joe Namath. He'd be a god. Oh, for uh, sure. He would be a god. Um, I just so I, I don't know. There's there's just a lot of variables that we just don't know. Not being in the locker room and 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 what's been said, what's been done behind the scenes. Because you're right, he has been quiet, and so has his agent. 
which is Good. highly well, unusual. Let me ask both of you all this. I know, Vala, this is your show, but this is what I'm finding curious, right? Because a quarterback is not a safety or a cornerback in terms of the way they must hold themselves in the public, amongst the team, amongst the league. They're held to a higher standard. Do you guys – I've been Team Watson on this. I, You know, take a stand. I'm all for labor having the right to make pushback. But are you guys not slowly but surely becoming a little concerned about the ways handling this with these cryptic sort of childish t- tweets, for lack of a better term, and not coming out and addressing this hang head on, like avoiding phone calls? If, if this is something that's bothering you, y'all need to sit down. And I know it goes both ways, but this is not becoming of an elite franchise quarterback that's supposed to be – for lack of better term, the CEO of the football team and the way he's handling this, in my opinion. That's that's just my opinion and probably not a popular take in Houston right now, but that's the way I view it. Yeah, it's we've seen a real shift away from away from guys really addressing things head on. And at least in the NBA, you know, we've seen a lot of these moves where players have four or five years left on their contract. We just saw it in Houston with James Harden requesting out and not really coming out and saying anything up until two days before the final trade was made, kind of delivering a cryptic stew of messages back and forward. In the NFL, I think it's even more particular, excuse me, just because an aspect of this, Tanner, that I appreciate you brought up regarding money is the NFL has absolutely the weakest collective bargaining agreement for their players association, right? These players, when it comes down to it, and again, Kale, when it comes down to your ownership group and whether or not they're a group of, you know, older, selective, Caucasian gentlemen with some tepid racism and certain aspects of their statements, I think really what it comes down to is the money because NFL careers are shorter than the other sports. There's less guaranteed money on the line. There's less post-career insurance available to these players as well, players who probably sustain the the biggest brunt of physical injuries through all three major sports. And so you want to be careful and tiptoe around these situations when you have the amount of money that's on the line like Deshaun Watson has. Uh, Tanner, you said $20 million he would void if he were to sit out. Um, and I don't know whether or not – I'm not sure as to the logistics of the collective bargaining agreement and how it would work for Watson's new contract coming up. But is there a scenario where they could void his contract entirely if he refuses to show, if he refuses to play? I'm not sure. I would be I surprised know. if there was that much of a poison pill in that in a contract like that. I, I don't know that I can think of one off the top of my head that would have something like that um, because then you're – Kyrie Irving. They were saying with Kyrie, if he refused to report to the Nets, they could void his entire contract. So one could only assume there would be something similar, something similar to protect NFL teams from giving such large guaranteed amounts of money to their players, some form of insurance for these owners when you have these collective bargaining agreements that so heavily favor the owners in football as opposed to basketball and baseball. Well, a lot of these uh, contracts are, are underwritten by, you know, something like a, a, a Lloyd's of London that are have all these weird insurance triggers. So I'm sure that the Texans are, are covered some way, somehow for any money that would be forfeited. So it, it, it's not like they would end up losing uh, anything. But I, I mean, I'm not sure how much money is guaranteed on this contract. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. 
So I'm looking at it now. Like now, next year, his his cap hit would be roughly sixteen million dollars, right? And then it goes up to forty the year after that, right? So if they were to trade him, and that's going to be dead cap, so they're going to eat that. That's another issue with them trading him is they're eating that number regardless of the trade. That it's, it's it's their money; it's already been allocated. So it, it, that's what makes this whole situation even juicier because we're essentially paying for you to have Deshaun for a year, right? And 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 that gives the Texans hopefully leverage in the trade operations. But I think what it comes down to it with Deshaun, I have a sneaking suspicion, guys, that this might be something that's been brewing in his mind for about 12 months. There's a reason why he didn't sign a six- to seven-year deal. I understand timing the market. But the guy wanted a short deal with a no-trade clause which to me shows that he went into this marriage, for lack of a better term, realizing internally that, hey, this might not be the right one, but I need to get paid now. And if I let them continue to string me out, they can franchise me and this can become messy. So I'm not putting it beyond him and David, his agent, that this hasn't been something that's sort of in the works in their mind for eight to nine months now. Uh, and it, it, we're seeing this campaign unleashed against the Texans to sort of force their hand. It, it's a very interesting situation. I'll agree, and I, uh, but I'll also kind of disagree on a point and take a more, uh, I guess, optimistic view is that he signed the shorter contract because that allows him to get, be re-signed, what, age 29, 30? Yeah, he'll be 30, 30, yeah. And then he can sign another five, it depends on the years that he has. He could sign an eight-year mega deal because quarterbacks nowadays, if they don't take the beatings, uh, you know they're they're playing a lot longer. I mean, I think we're going to see Brady until forty-five, and we're going to see Rodgers until I don't know, maybe forty-two. Uh, and so it's it, it to me, you're kind of looking at it from like a, a, a an MLB type contract where you understand, all right, the markets. I don't know what the market's going to be set. Not necessarily sure. Let me get my let me get a short term bag, and then all right, uh, Mahomes just reset the market, so I'm gonna deal with this, and then you know I'm gonna set the world ablaze for these next four years. Okay, yeah, now I want eight years, three fifty. Yeah, but do you remember that? Do you remember that interview he did? I think it was with SI last year, and it was very telling to me when they were talking about the Mahomes contract at ten years. And then he was talking about his own situation. And he said some things in there that really got me thinking when I went back and re-listened to it and re, you know, re-read the transcript was, you know, me and Patrick's situations aren't the same. You know, that, that I'll leave it at that. And to me, that is a very cryptic way of saying, I don't really trust this franchise. Patrick knows that the leadership in place and the, and the football minds in place are going to get this done. And I don't really think so. But I need to get paid now because, like you said, the, the 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 window is limited. There's no guarantees in football that you don't blow out a knee and you lose that earning capacity quickly. And he did just guarantee himself, you know, whatever the guaranteed money was, over a hundred million dollars on that deal by by taking that number. So it, the way this has gone down is starting to feel like it was premeditated to me. And if that's the case. That's that's sort of sad, man. It's sad for the Texans because they've created the situation by giving him reason to doubt. But it's also somewhat sad on Deshaun's part that he went into this, if this is the case, with sort of one leg out the door already. 
Man, it's as a players league these days, you got to look, you got to look across sports. You got to look at other guys in similar situations. And I don't think Deshaun Watson wants to end up as the next LeBron James. You know, why give loyalty for the first seven or eight years of your career to a franchise that's shown in a lack of capability of putting the pieces around you, right? Let's think if LeBron stayed in Cleveland after the uh, 2010 season and extends the rest of his prime with a Cleveland Cavalier team whose second best pairing with him was Mo Williams. Do you guys think LeBron ever wins his title? Do you think that his legacy is ever the same? Do you think his brand ever expands to what it was, to what it is now? Uh, I I don't know in regards to the titles, but his brand, yeah. You're, you're talking about the second greatest player in NBA history. Um, and, and what he does, not only on the court, but off the court. Um, and I don't, so I'm, I'm just saying for Watson's sake, if, if I'm going to try to be on the player side of this, you can't really blame him for having that one foot out the door. When again, you've got a franchise where let's keep it in the same sport. That's wasted all these icons. Andre Johnson, a guy who never speaks, coming out and saying this team wastes the prime of superstars. Arian Foster, arguably, I mean, look, you guys have watched a lot more football than I have, but I've seen a fair amount in my young adulthood. Arian Foster is the most talented football player I've ever seen uh, line up behind the quarterback as a running back in my lifetime, at least. And I haven't seen as much uh, football as you guys. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you probably didn't get to see Barry Sanders. but uh... Right, right, I didn't. Uh, you know, you look at J.J. Watt, the greatest, arguably the greatest defensive player of our generation, entire prime wasted on teams who couldn't spend enough time on the field and exhausted these awesome Texans defenses in the early to mid-2010s. So Deshaun Watson's looking at these guys, and I'm sure he has conversations with them in the locker room regarding his own future. And you got to think, you got to think that's where he's getting his his inspiration for, again, Tanner, like you said, having that one foot out the door. Yeah, and for me, I, I also kind of related a little bit to, uh, I know it's different, but RG3. I mean, look at what RG3 was on, on pace to be. That first year in Washington, I, I mean, just completely was on pace to revolutionize the quarterback position and he gave it all for his team. And now he's not even in the league anymore, just being cut. And I don't think he's going to be picked up by anyone and he didn't get his bag. Uh, and you, if you're looking at Watson at the same time as uh, what Deshaun's been in the top five, the last three years in sacks and you're looking at, it, it's like, all right, I've got this initial one, but there's so much more earning potential out there. I've got to do what's, what's best for, for me and my family, and, and right now they just – they're not making the effort that's needed. So I could see my career fizzling out like RG3s did. Granted, completely different environments, but, you know, all it takes is just another bad knee or ankle injury, and Deshaun Watson's never going to be seen in the NFL again. Take, for example, Cam Newton. Is forcing your way. You talk about though ineptitude. I mean, Miami has sort of appeared as a as a team that is a, a sexy destination, and allegedly he would approve that trade. What have the Dolphins done in the last ten years for all this great rebuild that that's occurring? And yes, it looks like this could be a, 
a franchise that's contending moving forward, but nothing's guaranteed the NFL. And the reality was they're eight and eight this year. And I don't remember the last time the Dolphins were in the playoffs. Maybe Pennington was their quarterback, what, like six or seven years ago? Yeah, you know, so they haven't exactly capitalized on using talent. Now, if he's going to force his way to a historical franchise, if he somehow, if he somehow ends up in New England, uh, then, you know, then, you know what, bravo, Deshaun. But to force your way from a franchise that, while certainly on the outside, appears inept to make proper football decisions, especially once Gain was gone and Gain was still here, none of this would be a problem because we wouldn't have put ourselves in this position. But just to do that, to move yourself to another franchise that is even more inept, that makes the Texans look like the, the freaking Patriots in terms of their success over the last 10 years. It's sort of hustling backwards to me. You're, you're betting on a, a speculation rather than even though they're mediocre results, they're still results that show, hey, we're typically in the tournament. If you take a 10-year sample size, we somehow find the way in the tournament, you know, 60% of those years. Well, I, I think the outlook may be a little bit different in the AFC South now, um, considering the what you've got in Tennessee, and then I think with Urban and Jacksonville and getting Trevor Lawrence and all the cap space they have, you're looking at a team that could potentially be 8-8 eight and eight next year, and uh, who knows where they're going to go. I honestly think in, in five, three to five years, Jacksonville is going to run the AFC South. So if, if you look at everything's on paper, it doesn't look favorably for the Texans. I, I see them being in, in the bottom, if not – the second worst in the AFC South for the next five years. I just think there's there's too much talent. So do you just want to keep pissing away your prime, uh, knowing that you're, the team's in cap space hell, there's really nothing that they can do. So just sit there and, and wait and hope. Or you know what, say, I'm going to take advantage of what I have now and, and do what's best for me. I, I can't fault him for that. The teams rise and fall so quickly in the NFL. I mean, it was just two or three, was it 2017, that Jags year where they went, you know, their defense was ridiculous and they're a fumble away from going to the Super Bowl and being Tom in New England. Like the parity in the league is real. Teams, you can, you can flip rosters in a two year stretch in the NFL. And the only really bad year the Texans are in terms of cap space and draft picks is this year. Then it resets moving forward again. So I just don't think there's any guarantee that the grass is greener on the other side. And talk about situations. Well, to me, out of all those teams you just mentioned, the AFC South, and I obviously watch a bunch of AFC South football, you know what team is set up for better long-term success than any of those is the Buffalo Bills. So you're going to go to the NFC East and have to deal with Josh Allen and a really well-run program up there with McDermott and building a monster. Where here you got the Colts, and no offense, but you guys don't have a quarterback. Big Philly should be gone. Um, you know, the, the Titans, you know, they're, they're a good quality football team, but they showed this year that they can be had. And as bad as the Texans were this year, they should have went 2-0 against them. And then the Jags, which are a wild card, um, which leads me to a question and uh, open to both of you. I'm just curious. If Urban calls the Texans up tomorrow and offers them the number one pick, number one, let's say the one and uh, a three for Deshaun, would you take that? Would you pull that trigger if you think Deshaun's gone? No. No, if you yeah. lose Deshaun, I don't take that. No, if you lose Deshaun Watson, number one, you don't. You never know in the NFL what these quarterbacks are going to amount to from college. Uh, look at the guys picked ahead of Deshaun Watson in the first round the year he was drafted. So if you're going to lose the only guy who's any kind of 
stock on your team that's any kind of positive capital, you need to get back a haul that allows you to really rebuild this team and get back to a spot where if you luck out with another quarterback, the pieces are in place, or at least you have the potential draft capital, cap capital, young talent in place that is going to allow them to be in a position to succeed, unlike what you did with Watson here. So you're saying, just to clarify, you're saying the first pick and a third rounder, and that's it. Yes, and here's why. Because you just mentioned there's two ways to build a team. The first option is find the quarterback and build around him. The, other, the second option is build the roster out and then try to plug the quarterback in. Well, you have the choice to go either route if you get the one. Do you realize the bounty that you could get for the number one overall pick this year? It might be uh, more than what you could get for Watson, frankly. Because Trevor Lawrence is, is – Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to bring in a haul. What was it that uh... – uh, that um, St. Louis ended up getting for RG three. I, I mean, I or what uh, Atlanta had to pay for Julio Jones. I, I think, at least from what I've seen, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect that we've seen. At, at least I've seen. Uh, they got better three than Andrew ones Luck. and a two. They got three ones and a two for RG three. So I imagine it would have even been more for Luck, and Lawrence is typically rated as a better prospect, barely, than Luck. So i got to think four ones is the talking point there. So yeah, real quick, I, are, I we, totally are, we, agree. are we thinking of Trevor Lawrence as a generational Andrew Luck-type talent where he's a no-brainer consensus number one pick? I think he's better than Luck. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> I, I think he could be. I think he could be a more articulate Ryan Mallet if shit doesn't go his way. But no, he's a, he's a, he's he, he's obviously got everything you want. But uh, I, there's there's no guarantee when you watch him play. What concerns me is in the biggest games where the talent is equal, where they don't have an overwhelming advantage on the outside. He all of a sudden looks mortal. Right. And, and that to me is concerning because he's going to go into a situation in Jacksonville. Got a good offensive line. They got the bookend tackles, but you're not going to blitzkrieg teams with talent at that point. It's an even playing field in the NFL, baby. Uh, so, yes, Lawrence is obviously rated where he is and, and can move like a, he's going to run a four six, low four six, high four five at six five or whatever he is and has a cannon. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just know that the haul that would be generated from that might be better than what you could get for Watson regularly on the market because of that cheap contract that Lawrence will be on for four to five years. And uh, if you want to take Lawrence, fire away. I 100% agree with that. I, I, I think if, if you're looking to actually do a full rebuild – I think that's actually the best route you go is you trade Watson for that number one pick. And then the haul that you're going to get is going to completely reset. And it's, it's going to actually jumpstart the the rebuild better than anyone could have expected. Uh, And going back to Lawrence, I actually think the reason why he struggled more in those big games is Clemson has never really had a strong offensive line. Uh, the ACC is, is not really known for putting out good offensive linemen, and their defensive lines really aren't all that strong. So whenever he is put up against some of those better teams, 
the offensive line fails him. And he's going to struggle initially in the NFL as he tries to figure out defenses and how to move. But he's going to have more talent in front of him than he's ever seen at Clemson. And, and I'll think he'll adapt. And, and you're looking at someone who, worst case scenario, is, I, I mean, I don't know, uh, what Jimmy Garoppolo should have been. Yeah, I don't even – I don't know. So what, what would y'all do, Kale and Vala? What would, what would y'all do if you're Casario and gun to your head? What, what is your plan of action? What, what are you doing with Watson? What, how are you handling the situation? I just I, – oh. I, I tend to agree with you, Tanner. You know, I think in today's media age, this headline-driven, day-to-day, 24-hour news cycle, I think a lot of noise is made. And, you know, if this was maybe 10, 15 years ago or even just pre-Twitter – and Watson has some disgruntled kind of rumblings behind closed doors and nothing is made available to the media, who's to say after a sit-down with, again, finally having a personnel guy on your in your franchise, after a sit-down with him and some direction given that he's not going to want to stay? So if I'm the Texans, I'm absolutely holding out that he stays and doesn't want to end up going anywhere because any viable trade destination that he's going to want to go to isn't going to have the capital that really gives you a reset on what you're looking for to retool this franchise. And and again, I don't think I don't think Cal McNair wants to trade him to the AFC South anytime soon and face up against him two times a year, possibly three in the playoffs, uh, because he's going to make whatever team he goes to more than likely a perennial playoff contender. So that's where I stand. I think you do absolutely everything you can to retain him. And I think all the people who are jumping on this train of you, you have to take this package. This is what you have to do. Deshaun Watson's gone. He's played his last snap in football. I think this is just hyperbole in the media in kind of the day and age we live in with the national broadcasters. Uh, I mean, being a Colts fan, I trade two firsts and a second for him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Throw in Darius Leonard and Big Q and you got a deal. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not letting go of the maniac. There's no chance in hell I'm seeing him go. But, I mean, you're looking at a team like that that wouldn't be willing to give that haul. Like, if if I'm in the Colts' front office, I'm definitely considering that because you bring in Watson, and we're on the short list of the Super Bowl contender with that defense. And with Jonathan Taylor growing, and then you put back an arm that can actually stretch the field with T.Y., I, I, I mean, there's just so much to offer. But going back to the topic, if you're the Texans, you – you definitely hold out a little bit longer. You keep things low key. You see if you can try to repair, if there's any chance of repairing. Cause the, the last thing that you want to do is, is continue to let him show that he's disgruntled because then it, you're just, you're putting yourself in a worse situation. Um, it, it's just, I have no idea really what's, what's going on behind the scenes and, and what's in, in Watson's head. Cause I mean, as you brought up earlier, Tanner, I hadn't read uh, the SI article, but there definitely could be a chance that, that he did this with one foot out the door. Hey, I'm going to see what we got next year. And then it's like, all right, nope. Um, how do I, how do I move forward? What, how do I do what's best for the Deshaun Watson brand? And these things develop quickly, right? By the time we release this podcast, uh, he could already be gone. You know, the James Harden saga in Houston, if that teaches us anything, it's that 
players can put on a face. Players can be professional. Players can can paint one narrative with the sources that their agents may put out, uh, and then just two days later, they're gone from the franchise. There, were, there was a whole group of Houston fans that followed the situation very closely that thought after the first win with the whole group coming back, getting their first win for Steven Silas and hearing what Harden had to say in the postgame presser, that, hey, Harden's going to stick it out with this team, and then we'll see what we have as far as trade packages go in the summertime. And then, boom, after the Lakers game, he's gone for arguably one of the greatest draft hauls in NBA history, uh, other than what the Pelicans got for AD. So we'll see, man. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to see. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to hear something. I'm excited to hear Deshaun Watson say something on this front and us not just get these kind of sleazy, backdoor, uh, source-driven, quote-unquote, rumblings that we get from various outlets. Uh, bottom line, 2021, out of all three of these Houston sports team, which one do you think has the best future, guys? The Rockets, the Texans, or the Astros? They all suck. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, think the Astros. I don't know. Now that they lost Springer, uh, Springer, as much as people want to say Altuve, being a baseball guy, Springer was the heart and soul of that team. There's something to be said for a leadoff man, and then the type of leadoff man that he was. Uh, I mean, that's going to absolutely devastate the team. They don't have anyone who who can replace him. Verlander, pretty much his career is done. He's not going to pitch next year. Um, and then after that, you're looking at a 40-year-old who just had Tommy John. Uh, I, I think if you're looking at the best outlook, it's got to be the Rockets. Um, I'll have to – and you know how much that pains me to say that, Vala. It does, uh, yeah. Is – um, they've got that draft capital and um, just that, that Christian Wood signing. The dude is a revelation. I thought that he was really just a flash in the pan last year with Detroit. That's not. So he is woefully underpaid on his contract. And I think there's going to be a lot of people free agent wise that are going to want to come in and play with him. Cause you're looking at it, the way I see it and correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's AD light. I really do. I, I think he's that talented. So I think there's a lot more potential in what the Rockets have and what they can build than um, the Astros still have the stink of that whole cheating scandal. Oh, come on. They were scapegoated by the league for that. You're going to tell me that doesn't go on in every single locker room around the MLB? Not as blatant as what the Astros did. I mean, come on. Being a pitcher, we all put the spray-on sunscreen on our arms and then dabbed it up with a little bit of rosin to uh, to be able to get that little extra 100 RPMs on the on the curveball. Uh, but to the extent the Astros did it, 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 it's something that really was an affront to what baseball did because, let's be honest, baseball, it's all about how many signs you can steal, but you have to do it a right way. So there's still going to be the the stigma with the Astros, uh, but yeah, I, I I just I think everybody sees the the Texans as being the the Knicks or the Kings of the NFL right now. So I'm not sure how many people they're going to want to bring in. I assume that JJ Watt is going to ask for a, a trade somehow to go to a contender so he can finish out his career. Um, with a chance to win a Super Bowl. And and that really kills me to say that because there is something to be said 
about guys that are like Dirk or Kobe that just stay with a team for for their whole career. It's in today's environment, I, I think it's special. Um, but you know, there there's someone like him deserves the chance to actually get up there and compete again to to win a championship. So that that's my rant on it. Yeah, feel free to disagree and and you know. Uh, treat me like Odell, Odell Beckham and give me a good Cleveland steamer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, even though we just got done bagging on them, I actually think the Texans, if they execute either of their decisions right, are in the best position. And here's why. I think um, basketball, it's a star-dominated league. The Rockets can be very good in three to four years, but their capital doesn't really kick in right away. Like that pick swap with the Nets, like that doesn't do anything. The Nets are going to freaking be... You know, they're going to be a one or two seed this year by the time it's all said and done. And baseball, baseball's tough because there's no hard cap and big money's always going to play. The NFL is a hard cap. There's a lot of parity. And the reality is this. If they have Watson and then get him on board, I could see them being a 500 football team again next year and sneaking into a 17 playoff. If they decide to deal him and they decide to tear everything down, they deal him, they flip Tunzel, they flip Watt. They will be set up, if done properly, for one of the quickest, most talent infusion rebuilds we've ever seen in terms of draft capital if they don't fuck it up. Now, I know that's asking a lot, but I actually think Casario's competent. So, believe it or not, I actually think the Texans, with competent leadership from Casario, if he's allowed to take control of the situation, have a game plan to be competitive one way or the other uh, if they execute this right. Not not good, but competitive. With, with that caveat, then yes, I'll agree with you that the Texans do. I just uh, after seeing the just the complete ineptitude since the uh, since the franchise was awarded to Houston, I, I just don't hold out a a lot of hope that 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 will actually occur. Look at that. We're we're an hour and a half into the pod, and you two boys finally agree on something. It's beautiful. It's beautiful <laughs> having this all come together. Guys, if you're listening to this, if you suffer through an hour, 29 minutes of Houston Texans talk, you get your little dose, little dose of some serotonin there with Tanner saying the Texans are the most uh, optimistic-looking <laughs> franchise come 2021 and i hope so man i hope so i love watching football for this team growing up despite all the painful memories like you said despite that 2012 season where they were really set up to win the super bowl before not only matt shaw but also their backup matt leinert went out with season ending injuries um and again there's been a bevy of other situations and circumstances uh just like last year giving up a double digit lead before the half to the kansas city chiefs where it's made watching the Texans tough, but we battled through it, guys. We battled through it for two decades. Uh, I hope to get back to it as to a nearly as passionate level here pretty soon. So I want to thank you guys for coming on. I know we're recording this kind of in the middle of the week. Uh, it's like midnight down here in Houston. Kale's over on the liberal West Coast where it's still pretty early and you're still able to get out there with the riders and you know showcase your bravado. But I want to I want to thank you guys both for coming on, and I don't know if you guys would be down for it. I know there was a lot of back and forward battles, but I would love to have both of you guys on in a future segment. Uh, I really had a good time recording this. I hope y'all did as well. Absolutely, it was a blast. Uh, I would definitely be down to do it again, especially if uh, you're willing to break out of your comfort zone and head over to to baseball. But 
you know, it was a blast, and I'll leave you with uh, one parting shot. Dub Nation. I hate you. <laughs> that was awesome, Bala. I enjoyed the hell out of this. I, I unfortunately am addicted to all things Texans, really in football in general, and unfortunately I live in Houston just like you, so, you know, I have no choice but to live and die with the Texans, but hell, man, I'll, I'll talk ball whenever. Yeah, it was a pleasure, brother. Uh, you got you, you know your shit. We, we disagree on some things, but you know your shit. Same to you, man. Hey, you know, that that's uh, that makes it all the more enjoyable. Being an attorney, you always enjoy whenever your counterpart knows their shit and you can't just uh, run over them roughshod. So I'm I enjoyed it. I loved uh, loved you being uh, the uh, oh, God, what's the dickhead on Fox Sports that I despise? Skip Bayless to my Shannon Sharp. <laughs> hey, well, why do you get to be Shannon? I got to be Skip, man. That's fucked up. So <laughs> what, am I? Am I the hot girl I'm on actually, the deadline meeting? I'm gonna black them out. Yeah. <laughs> are you gonna be? Are you gonna be Molly? Oh no, Molly's that Stephen A. Uh, now nah, you know what? We'll throw you in, Vala. You can be. Uh, oh God, Jason Taylor's sister. Uh huh. Joy. There you go. You can be Joy Taylor. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm not. This isn't a losing scenario for me. But guys, both of y'all send your love to your wives for me. And audience, thank you guys for sticking it out with us. Thanks for constantly tuning in. Y'all know we make no money for this. We just do it for the love of the game and putting out content that hopefully you guys enjoy as well. So thank you guys both. See y'all next time.